Happy New Year. It's 2018. Yeah, isn't it right? Yeah, I got that right. 2018. Beginning of the new year. This is the time of year where we make resolutions. So raise your hand if you made even one resolution this year. Anyone? Awesome. Okay. A handful. A revolution. A revo oh, there you go. <laughs> so it's the time of year where we start looking at life and, and going, what do we need to change? And so I thought I would begin today by asking this. How would you rate the satisfaction you feel about your life right now? And we're not going to raise our hands here. But from 1 to 10, if you had to rate your satisfaction with your life, how would you rate it? Think about that for just a minute. And why? Rory's at a five. <laughs> now, think about your life. Now, there's some things that you might want to change, hopefully, because if, if we're still in these bodies, we haven't arrived yet. There's some things that God still wants to do with us until we go to be with him or until he returns. So what is it that God wants to change in you? What is it that you know needs to change in your life to go from wherever you are to attend satisfaction in life? Now, let's not have this be, I need more money or uh, a bigger house or a nicer car or, or something like that. Or this person needs to change in order for me to get to attend. What is it about you in your life? Maybe it's a character issue. Probably it's a sin issue in your life that you'd like to get over this year that you'd like to move past. This series that we're starting today is called People Don't Change, Do They? Because we've probably heard that before, people don't change. I, I heard it just a couple weeks ago talking about with somebody, about somebody, however it was, and, and he's like, well, just, people just don't change. I thought, man, that is often true, but it doesn't have to be the case. Change can happen if it happens in Jesus Christ, change can, these things we can get over. Do you struggle with anger? Guess what? God didn't create you to be an angry person. God wants you to be a peaceful, loving person. You can get to a point where anger isn't what you are. You know, and that's one of those that we hear a lot. Well, I'm just, I just get irritated. I just get angry. Well, you don't have to. That's actually sin if you're quick to anger. What about depression, sadness? Do you struggle with that? We live in a society right now that, that has greater rates of depression than ever, and probably because of Facebook and all this, all your friends talk about how great their lives are, and they're lying. And you look at that and go, well, realistically, mine's not quite that good, and so you feel depressed about it. Do you struggle with depression? Would you like to be happy? And that sounds a little bit worldly, but really, happy, joyful despite circumstances. Are there other addictions, habits you want to get over? And maybe you've gotten to a point where you're just like, you know what, I'm now 25 years old. I'm now 50 years old. I'm now 70 years old. I'm not going to get past these things. Well, maybe you can. And reach greater levels of joy and satisfaction in life. Greater levels of fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's what this series is about because we're in Colossians. So go ahead and grab your Bible. If you brought one, pull it out, turn to Colossians. If you don't have one, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you underneath these little cages. Grab those. Uh, use your electronic device. That's legal now. Um, but we're going to be studying Colossians. We're ending chapter two today and going into chapter three for the next three weeks, looking at life change. And if we pay attention, if we listen to what Paul is telling us, we will experience life change if we listen and then do it. I, I see Paul here as, as somewhat of a coach. I don't know if you 
in the 80s, some of you were alive in the 80s, many of you. Do you remember American Gladiators? I think it was in the 90s too. Yeah, American Gladiators, yes. <laughs> Do you remember Assault? Assault, okay, if you, if you didn't watch American Gladiators, Assault was where the contestant would start and they had to go from barrier to barrier while one of these big buff gladiators was up top shooting uh, tennis balls at him, just ka-dunk, And so they'd be shooting him and they'd have to run and grab something and try and shoot a target above. Well, that's kind of what is happening here. Paul wants us to experience fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But as we go through life, there's balls being shot at us. There's temptations, there's false beliefs, there's lies about God, lies about you. And these things are coming at us and we never really get to a point that they stop until we get to the end. But we want to get to the end. Now, I actually, preparing for this, I watched some and there was like a football player from the 70s who was in it and it was this big buff woman shooting at him um, and he kept almost, it was great. But, but his goal, but he was determined to get to the, you know, he's crawling along and I thought, are we determined to get to the end which would be the end of our life or when Jesus comes back and have God say, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end, to hear those words, is there anything better than to hear God look at you, Jesus look at you and say, you did what I asked you to do, good job. Or you know what, you did okay, but all this stuff you didn't deal with. I wanted you to deal with these things. I had more for you in life, but you didn't deal with those things. We can deal with those things in him and experience greater satisfaction. Now this isn't a, a series where it's like oh, all about self-improvement. That's not the point. The point is, as God improves our lives, it is self We do have more joy. We do have more satisfaction. We do have more confidence, but it's rightly placed. It's not selfish. So turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter two. Now, just to, to bring you up to speed, what we've seen, this is a letter that was written from Paul, the apostle Paul. He's in Rome and he's writing to this small church in a small town near Ephesus. Paul had never been to this town. He had never been to this church. When he was in Ephesus teaching people the gospel, there was another man named Epaphras that came along and heard the gospel from Paul and then took it back. So he went and he planted this small house church. And it was right now meeting in, in a Philemon's house is where this church was meeting. And so small church, but what has happened is false teachers had moved in. They were coming in. This church wasn't all that old. And so these teachers were coming in and saying, yeah, you guys are doing okay. Jesus is fine, but you also need these other things. They were, they were bringing saying, okay, you guys might be spiritual, but you're just JV. If you want to be varsity, varsity level Christian, varsity level spirituality, you need these things too. And so Paul has been writing to counter that saying, no, 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 don't listen to these liars. They're not even saved. Don't listen to them thinking there's this next level you can reach to. It's Jesus alone. And so to sum up where we've come so far, he said, Jesus is everything. Jesus is God. He is fully divine in flesh and you are full in him. Jesus is enough. That's his main point so far. But now he's gonna move to, because Jesus is enough and what he's done with you, here's what it should look like in your life. You don't have to be the way you were. You get to now experience the fruit of the spirit. If you know from Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Imagine a family where everybody in the family is doing all of those. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be, imagine just me doing all of those all the time. Well, when we walk in the spirit, that is what comes out. And so that's what we're looking at here. Let's set the context and look with me at Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. We're really going to be in verse 16, but I want us to set this up. Verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, looking at walking, life change, how do we walk? Rooted and built up in him. If you like to circle things, circle in him. In him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Then he says this, so you're, you're new in Jesus, you're built up in him, you're rooted in Jesus, that's where life comes from. And then he says this in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. We looked at this verse two months ago, I think, maybe a little less. And I had actually quite a few responses as we studied this, people coming up and saying, that was exactly what I needed at just the right time. Yesterday, somebody was bringing some false thoughts that sounded good and I was tempted to believe them. Then I came to church and you actually said exactly what they were saying and showed how it was not true. And some had that week the same conversation. So we're taking that, right there, do not be taken captive. You know, these balls that are thrown at us that are trying to derail us, trying to put us on the bench. Don't be taken captive by these things. And now today, Paul is going to look at three in specific. Three things that those false teachers were trying to convince these Christians were true, trying to pull them away. And Paul is pointing them out. He's saying this, this, and this. That's what they're saying, and it's wrong. And we have some of those still in our life today, in our world today. So let's look at these. I'm gonna read the verses and then we'll go through it. Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, grows, or knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to the human precepts and teachings, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've preserved this word miraculously from the first century to now, that we can be confident that what we have is what was written then. Thank you for loving us so much, Jesus, that you went to the cross to die for our sins. Thank you that as we've been singing, we were set free. That on the cross, you said it is finished, meaning you've done all the work. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to be powerfully present with us. Holy Spirit, we know that some of the work that you do on this earth is you convict, uh, you encourage. And we ask you to do that this morning, that you would convict us where we're off and encourage us to go your direction that you would show us where we might need to change and then you would give us the power to rely on you for that change to happen in our lives. God, we want at the end of 2018, we wanna see our families healthier. We wanna see our marriages flourishing and thriving. We want our levels of satisfaction to be through the roof, not because we're getting all these material things, but because our faith in you is stronger and we're depending on you, we're leaning on you and, and we're full of you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. 
So here's the first ball being thrown at us, religion. The first lie being brought is religion. Verse 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What he's talking about here is primarily the Jewish religion. This was a Gentile city. This was a Greek city. This wasn't a Jewish city, but there was Jewish influence. And Christianity, we know, came from Judaism. The whole Old Testament is all about Judaism, which was true. It was God coming to a nation called Israel. He chose them. He revealed himself to them. He gave them the law. He gave them all of this, and it was good. But when Jesus came, he completed it. He replaced the old covenant with the new covenant in his blood. And so what happened was Christians really were Jews, kind of. They were worshiping the same God. And so when, when Gentiles became Christians, then there was the question, do they have to become Jews too? If they become a Christian, do they now have to do all the Jewish things? Do they have to obey the festivals and the feasts and the Sabbaths and, and eat kosher? You know, they can't have bacon anymore. All those things, do they have to do that? And that's what's happening is these teachers are coming in saying, Jesus is good. You're JV. You want to be varsity Christian, varsity spiritual? Now you have to obey the Jewish law also. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. You don't have to obey the Jewish law. And he, goes, he gets specific mainly with holy foods and holy days. The holy foods, maybe you're familiar with, was the kosher laws. You know, don't eat things with the cloven hoof and choose its cud, and just all that. Basically, don't eat pigs and camels. Uh, I don't know if you would want to eat a camel anyway, but don't eat bacon. Um, I know, horrible, huh? <laughs> Gasp, that's awesome. I hope that was recorded. Um, uh, but they were trying to add on these religious practices. So, so here's this first one, and it's religion. We're going to, nope. There we go. Religion. Religion is the first lie that is being told that, that is trying to draw people away. And he says here in verse 17 why Jesus replaced the old law. And he said this, these, referring to the old law, the festival, the new moon, the Sabbath, uh, they, they obeyed the Sabbath every week, Saturday. They obeyed a new moon festival every month. They then obeyed three primary feasts each year where they would then go to Jerusalem. They, they would journey and, and observe, uh, what was it, tabernacles, uh, the Passover, and first fruits. And so they were required to do these things. And here they're saying, you have to do it also. He says, no, you don't. And here's why. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The whole law was set up to point to Jesus so that when Jesus came, they went, oh, now I get it. The Jewish law had sacrifices. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So they had to sacrifice a lamb every year for their sins and you would have to actually do it. You'd kill it yourself. Well, now when Jesus comes, he dies on the cross and his blood covers forever and ever and ever. Remember John the Baptist in John 1, 29, he says, behold, as Jesus was walking down the street, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. If you knew the Jewish system, you heard that and went, whoa, takes away the sin of the world? That's never happened before. So Jesus was, the, the, the law, legalism there, was a shadow to point to Jesus. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. We in our house played, mainly used to, but the kids are too big now. We played this bed game, and I had a bat. And the kids would run out of the back room, and they'd run around, and I'd hit them with the bat until they got back to the, and they're only safe on the bed. 
And so, you know, sometimes I'd hide right outside. I'd close the door, and right when they opened the door, I'd beat them with the bat. Or I'd get, yeah. It's a great game. It's, <laughs> I recommend it. I recommend it. Um, we broke some things in the house playing the bed game. But in the bed game, you know, I would hide often somewhere, and I would be in a place where I could watch. And, and if I saw a shadow coming, I knew somebody was close. The shadow. Then I can jump out and beat them, and they don't know I'm there. But... What, once I see them, I don't focus on the shadow anymore. The shadow was just kind of a warning. Ah, here they come. Same thing with the law. The law was a shadow. When Jesus comes, you don't stare at the shadow. We don't get together and talk and look at each other's shadow. The shadow pointed to Jesus. So when Jesus came, he fulfilled it. He was the substance. And so the old law had passed away, and now this new covenant had come. That was then. Now, this does exist now. In fact, I, I talked to somebody recently who they had those in their family that have gone back to Jewish legalism and they keep leaving, going church to church to church because they keep coming in, bringing this legalism with them. And eventually the people in the church go, that's not the gospel. That's, that's not the gospel because the gospel is Jesus. The gospel isn't Jesus plus works. Religion is works. The gospel is grace, Jesus alone. And so they don't celebrate Christmas, but they celebrate Hanukkah, which is kind of weird. That's not one of the three festivals. But so it can get mixed up, but religion still is a temptation for us to buy into. Not so much the Jewish aspects of it, although that is for some, but for us, maybe you deal with religion. You think that because of your observances, God is pleased with you. Ask a lot of people, are you a Christian? And they might say, yes. You say, why? I go to church. If you think that God accepts you because you're here, I'm sorry to say that's not true. Actually, I'm glad to say that's not true. Maybe you think God is pleased because you're, you're a regular attender at church or you regularly give. Giving is a good thing. But if you're giving to be right with God, it's not a good thing. That's not the design. Instead, we give, we come, we attend in response rather than trying to be right. So religion, this is on your notes if you're a note taker, a list of do's and don'ts by which a person earns God's favor and progresses spiritually. Religion puts the weight on you to do certain things. And this can happen in the church all the time. And it can happen in our own lives where we don't even realize it. But we think, oh, God's not happy with me. I didn't read my Bible today. Well, that's religion. You should read your Bible every day to connect with him. But when you don't, you don't go, oh, no, God's not happy with me. Maybe you, you think God's wrath is upon you now. You think he's against you because of something you did this week. Maybe you looked at something you weren't supposed to look at and you think God's angry with me now and now I'm not acceptable. Maybe you said something to somebody, you hurt them and you think, oh, God's not gonna accept me now because of that. That's, that's religion. No, God accepts you not because of you. That's what's beautiful. He accepts you because of Jesus. He looks at you in all your wretchedness and he sees Jesus. He looks at me in all my filth and he sees Jesus. And hopefully as life goes on, the filth gets less as he cleanses me and makes me more like Jesus. But when he looks at you, he sees Jesus, if you are saved, if you belong to him. Now, he says, he begins this, he says, therefore, do not let one pass judgment on you. It's kind of aggressive. He says, don't allow this to happen. If somebody's coming to you and trying to place rules on you to be right with God, you go, no. There's a time for grace among us, absolutely. And, and, and we're supposed to treat each other with love. But there's a time where you go, no, that's not true, because that's not the gospel. Believing a list of do's will get you there actually will lead you away from Jesus, away from God, away from his best for you. So don't allow it. Basically, it can be, like you said, do not be taken captive. 
like we saw earlier in the chapter. Do not be taken captive. Religion is about performance. So if religion is your thing, either you're going to be good at it and get proud of yourself, and you're probably confused because you're not as good at it as you think you are, or you're going to be bad at it and you're going to live in guilt and shame all the time. That's not flourishing. Flourishing is resting on God's love. So here's, here's the question to ask if this is what you struggle with. Hopefully you can read it. Do you pursue spiritual progress and God's approval through a strict set of rules and regulations? Go to church, give financially, whatever that list would be. Do you think you're accepted because of a list? That's religion. Following a list of rules does not make a person right with God or lead to life change. Rather, look at verse 19. We're going to skip down. Here's the big point, and it sits right in the middle of this passage. Don't do this, but, verse 19, their problem is that they are not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together. Hold tight to the head. So, is going to church a good thing? Heck yeah. <laughs> we tell you all the time, go to church, be where God is. But you don't do it to be right, you do it because you're right. The law never made a person righteous, but it showed them their unrighteousness. It never saved anyone, but it showed them their need for a savior. God doesn't love you. This is big. God doesn't love you based on you. He loves you based on Jesus. So we do have lists of dues. If you ask, if you come up and you go, how should I progress spiritually? I'd go, well, attend service, that's great. Join a group, regularly spend time in the word, memorize verses, all those things are good things, but they're good in response in order to grow and get closer, but they don't make you right with God. They don't make him more or less pleased with you. So that's the first one, religion. The second one starts in verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind. The second one is mysticism. The second one is mysticism. And, and here's how you can understand mysticism. It's based on experiences. That, that spiritual progress, growth, fulfillment in life is based on your spiritual Experience, experiences. And for them, you look at verse 18. He says, insisting on asceticism. Now, actually, I don't like that word as much, asceticism in this context. Uh, any of you have something different in your Bible? Insisting on anybody? Any other version other than the ESV has something else. False humility. False humility. Thank you. False humility. Insisting on false humility. What's false humility? It's what it sounds like. False humility. It's putting on this picture of what you are that you're not really. Maybe you've heard the, the term a humble brag. You know, it, where you, you talk about all the difficult things you've done and how you're worn out. And really, it's just kind of puffing yourself up. And others listen and go, wow, they're really spiritual. That's what these false teachers are doing. They're coming in and just going on about how low they are. I knew a woman many years ago who her family was falling apart and she would ask for help and ask for prayer, but she was spending all her time doing something else and going, oh, I'm serving these people great. These people really need me while her kids were falling apart. Her family was falling apart. That's kind of the idea here of I'm doing all these things. Look how great I am. But, but obviously she wasn't connected well to Christ because she was dropping her first priority, her family. 
That's kind of this false humility. And so they're, they're puffing themselves up going, varsity spirituality is, is this, and, and putting themselves out there. Maybe you can think of somebody, maybe you struggled with that, putting themselves out. And then uh, worship of angels and going on in detail about visions. Worship of angels. There was, during that time and other times, there was something happening where people would worship angels. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews goes on and on about Jesus is above the angels. Jesus created the angels. Don't worship the angels. That could be what he's talking about here, but probably not. In context, as we're looking and what these false teachers were, were dealing with, rather than a worship of angels, this is probably in context more of a worship like the angels. These false teachers were, were doing this humility, which can also refer to extreme fasting. They would do these extreme fasts in order to receive visions and to, to get to a point where they were worshiping like the angels worship. So not worshiping angels, but the worship of angels, the worship that the angels worship meaning this higher plane of worship, of understanding God, this revelation of now I'm up here, I worship like the angels worship. And the rest of you guys, you guys haven't arrived that yet, you haven't gotten there. So you guys have to go work really hard to get to this experience that I'm having. And they would go on in detail about these visions that they would have. They would talk about, you know, their insights and all these things, lifting themselves up. Mysticism claims that a person standing with God and spiritual progress can be judged by religious experiences. And he, in verse 18, the, the literal translation is where it says, let no one disqualify you. Let no one be an umpire for you. That's really what it's talking. It's kind of a hard thing to translate. But the most now today would be, don't let anybody be an umpire. Meaning they're calling the balls and strikes in your life. Oh, you don't experience this? You're not saved. Oh, you haven't received this gift yet? Uh, you're not where we are. You might not be saved. Maybe you are, I don't know, but you're not there. Maybe you've encountered this. I had a man years ago that was really condescending upon me that, that I wasn't at his level. I probably wasn't saved because I didn't have visions. I didn't speak in tongues. I, I didn't hear the voice of God audibly like he did. And so he, he had himself up here on this other plane. And the thing about this is if you see those people that have that, it looks really spiritual. And you can look at that and go, I kind of want that. It, it looks like they're experiencing God in a way I've never experienced God. And so you pursue those experiences. I had a friend of mine who, similar upbringing as me, and he saw some of that and he went and people all laid their hands on him and prayed. And he said it was this really weird thing. You know, it just felt off. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in good ways. Visions do happen. Absolutely. You, you know, miraculous things do happen. Mysticism is pursuing those as your basis of spirituality as your, your way to grow, that it's about the experience. Uh, maybe you've heard of those that they would talk about if God is really present in a church, here's what you'll see, gold dust falling from the ceiling. And people that have cavities, the, the, their teeth will be filled with gold fillings. Um, and, and so, and I've heard that from people going, oh, if God is really present, you'll see those things. And I studied some of those things and most of those, whenever they happen, they're all proven false. They'll find the glitter like in the ductwork. And, um, and again, not that God can't do miraculous things, but when you're pursuing those as your way of growth, it's off. And here's the problem is when it's apart from Christ. Again, verse 19, that's the, the I don't know what the word, that's what it all rests on, the middle, the fulcrum. There you go. That's the fulcrum of these verses. This is not holding fast to the head. When you're holding fast to the head, these experiences can happen, 
but you can also be secure in the word and not dependent on those. Uh, maybe, well, as he talks about it, here's what happens. Verse, uh, there it is, verse 18, sorry. Uh, going on in details about visions, and here's what happened. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These people are puffed up and proud. Look at these experiences. I'm up here, and they're, and they're proud of it. And so what he's talking about is they're sensuous. So they're as sinful as they ever were. They're sensuous. And, and my experience, you know, again, I, you have to be careful experience, but my experience with people lines up with what these verses say, that those people that are focused on experiences and chasing them often are going to fall away when the experience ceases. Or when they're not experiencing what they want to experience, they fall away. And a lot of them often fall into deep and serious sin because they're pursuing a feeling, a sense, and then they get it through sin. And so they go that way. And so it's a danger to pursue these things, again, apart from Christ. Hey, do visions happen? Paul's writing this. Paul had visions. Paul had visions. Ezekiel had visions. Isaiah had visions. But when people had visions, it didn't create pride. It created humility. The people that had visions fell on their knees in fear. The people that had visions, it, it resulted in a greater good for the church, not an elevating of the person. And so that's how you can, you can gauge if it is of God and is it of not. At the end of 18, where it says they're puffed up and proud, that literally means they're full of hot air. The literal translation. And not holding firmly to Jesus. Spiritual progress is not attained through spiritual experiences apart from Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the experience that we have here of God's presence. We ask God to be present here. That's an experience, but I'm talking about a dependence. So here, do you struggle with this? Do you chase religious or spiritual experiences and feelings, visions, miracles, Eastern meditation, astrology and signs, this can take place also outside of the church. In fact, right now in our day and age, in large part, it is outside the church. People chasing this spiritual whatever through other means. Native American religions, Eastern religions, crystals, those things, Ouija boards, those things are dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Stay away from those things, chasing this experience. So that's the second one. The third one, asceticism, asceticism. Look with me at verse, well, we'll start in 20. It says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Asceticism. Asceticism is about denying the body in order to grow spiritually. At the root in, in history, asceticism had the idea that the spirit is good, but the body is bad. So to progress spiritually, you, you do things to your body. So monasticism came out of this. You know, there's some good things that came out of monasticism, but, but these, these monks would go off in the desert and live in a cave and take vows of poverty and, and eat gravel, whatever it was, but they would totally deny themselves to attain this higher level of spirituality. And I remember many years ago, as I even read about monasticism, I took some classes in college, I thought, 
To a certain extent, this is the opposite of what God designs. For, to go hide away in a cave, but what our greatest commandment is to go make disciples. But yet, some of these monasteries, they did do it right. In fact, a lot of the, the uh, missionary movements and evangelism took place as the Catholic Church was going. The Catholic Church wasn't doing it, but the monasteries, yeah, the, the monks, they were doing some of that. But this, this level of spirituality based on denying the flesh, uh, this would be, you know, like taking pilgrimages on your knees. You know, again, maybe here in this culture, we don't deal with this a lot, but this does exist. Denying the body. Maybe you watched uh, Da Vinci Code years ago, and you remember the guy had uh, this thing on his leg, and he would tighten it down and make it bleed, and then he would beat himself. That's self-flagellation. But that's, that's asceticism trying to atone for your own sins through physical suffering, trying to get there through denying the flesh. This exists today with priests and celibacy. I'm going to de deny this sexual part of me, and I'm going to be celibate. And you see what happens through some of those things. But that's not what God designed to go, I'm going to do this to achieve this higher level. Maybe some people do that with alcohol. I'm never going to drink. And, and, and so I, I'm a higher spiritual, because you know, real Christians, they don't drink. Now, if you struggle with alcohol, don't drink. If you struggle with getting drunk, don't, you know, don't drink. Uh, that's fine. But maybe, maybe there's a greater level of bringing glory to God when we enjoy the good things he made and give him the glory. When instead of, you know, not eating meat, we eat a nice, rare ribeye and give the glory to God while enjoying. No, really, that can be a spiritual experience. <laughs> You know, or, or a, a really good um, homemade brew <laughs> that somebody made. You know, that can be a spiritual experience of, of enjoying something and giving the glory to God. Asceticism says deny the body to progress spiritually. Um, this does exist within the church, as I mentioned. This also exists in some ways outside the church. As I was studying up on this, uh, commentators and, and others studying and, and trying to teach this passage wrestled with, how does this apply now? And to a certain extent, outside religious circles, there is still this idea, okay, if we are pursuing fulfillment, if we are pursuing a personal flourishing, I'm going to deny myself all these carbs so that I have this rockin' body and this washboard abs and achieve this, this next level, uh, or, or vegan or vegetarian. Again, I'm not dissing you if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. But doing that isn't going to take you to another spiritual level. It's not gonna take you to another level of flourishing. And again, all of this is apart from Jesus. Christian moderation is a great thing. We shouldn't eat too much. We shouldn't drink too much. Christian moderation is good. But here's asceticism. Do you regularly deny yourself basic physical needs or pleasures in order to attain greater spirituality? Food, drink, the marriage bed, money, etc. You know, this would be a, a vow of poverty. Again, maybe that's what God would have you to do for his glory. But doing that doesn't take you to a new spiritual level. It doesn't make you right with God. You won't flourish because of those things. Now, again, with asceticism, we have to say, though, Christian moderation is a very, very good thing. That now that we're Christians, we belong to God, now in response to him, I'm going to be careful the things I do, the things I say, the things I enjoy, but I want to enjoy those things and give the glory to God. So that's asceticism. Why not? 
Why not all these other things? Verse 20, going back a little bit, he says, if, that word could be said since, since with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why would you act like you're alive? Since you died, when you came to Christ, it's all about Jesus. That's what we've been singing about. You died with him. So don't live like you are just a normal person in the world. Don't go to these other things. You're dead to those things. You're alive to God and now get everything you need in Jesus Christ. What is it? What is it that prevents us from, from flourishing? Think about it. Write it down in your notes. What is it that prevents you from being a 10 in satisfaction in life? It's sin. Let, let's be real. It's sin. Sin is the one thing that's separating you from flourishing because if you are right with God, I mean, if we live perfectly, let's just imagine that was possible to live perfectly, then you're going to be a 10 because you're going to be joyful, content, regardless of circumstances. You, you may have cancer and be on your deathbed, but guess what? You'll go, I'm still a 10 because I, I, I joyfully understand what he's doing. I joyfully, maybe you don't understand all that he's doing, but your faith is in him. Sin is what gets in the way. Sin of anger, sin of pride, sin of selfishness, sins of self-loathing, all those things. So how do we get rid of sin? Well, what he says in verse 23 Here's this asceticism. It, they have an appearance of wisdom. All these, meaning religion, mysticism, asceticism, it all looks kind of good. When you see some of those people, you're like, ah, they got something I don't have. But what he says here, he says, they look good in a worldly way in promoting self-made religion and severity to the body, but they're of no value. Listen, they're in no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can pursue these things, but the real issue is sin, and these things will not help you with sin. Uh, one of the examples of asceticism in this country would be like the Amish. All the, the modern conveniences are bad, so we're just not going to have them, and we're going to live this way and, and be above that. Uh, and I heard a, an interview with a woman that was part of that or that came out of, of Amish and said, basically with this, What's the case there? And she said, all the, all the sins exist there just like anywhere else. There's a real pride there with the buggy and the horse. And you think, what? Yeah. Like when you sit, get a certain level, you'll have this kind of horse and then this kind of horse and the buggy. And so it's at a different level. Maybe we don't understand. But the sin is still there. Doing all that doesn't get rid of the sin. We were in Iowa and we drove by an Amish community. They have great cheese curds. And there was this farm and I saw somebody out there driving a, a, a bobcat. I'm like, they can have that? And I looked, and it had metal wheels. And they can have that as long as they don't have rubber on the wheels, I guess. But the point is, those things don't stop sin. The only thing that's going to stop sin in your life is what? Go back to verse 18, 19. Holding fast to the head. Verse 19, hold fast to the head. That is where it begins. The next three weeks, we're going to get very, very practical about life change. But it starts with this. Nothing else will do it. Sin's the issue. The only way to get through it is holding fast to Jesus Christ. How did he say it earlier? Remain rooted in him. Remain rooted. That's verse 7. Rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith. It all comes from staying close to Jesus. So don't be confused. The reason we have to talk about this is we can be confused. 
We can be deceived, even within the church. You'd think that we have the spirit, it's all just gonna go well. No, the world is throwing stuff at us. Don't be deceived. Don't be drawn astray because it's gonna pull you from the true grace of the gospel and what flourishing is like in Jesus Christ alone. Don't allow anyone to steal away your joy. Who are you listening to? Who do you go to for counsel? Do you ever go to a counselor or a therapist or even a friend or a family member? Do they tell you anything other than dependence on Jesus? Maybe they give you strategies, that's good, but are they wrapped up in being attached to Jesus? If they're strategies apart from Jesus, they're worthless. They're not gonna help you. Sin is still gonna reign in your life and you're gonna be the same at the end of 2018 as you are right now. But Jesus is the answer. It's a good old Sunday school answer. What's the answer? Jesus, remaining close to him in intimate relationship. Man-centered anything will not work. Galatians 5.16, I think, is one of the most helpful verses here. Galatians 5.16 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, meaning you won't be walking in your sin. Walk by the Spirit, same as abiding in John 15. I am the vine, you are the ban- branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Walk in the Spirit, remain abiding tight to Jesus. Not religion, not mysticism, not asceticism. Say that fast three times. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna continue to worship. Worship in song. These tables are a little bit full today. If you're new, uh, you haven't been here long, the way we do the Lord's Supper, we do it every other week. The Lord's Supper is where we remember what Jesus did on the cross until he comes again. Jesus instituted this when he was having his last supper with his disciples in the upper room. He, He took the cup of wine that they were drinking and he said, this is my blood. The the blood of the new covenant. And he said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Remember what I'm going to do. He was going to go to the cross the next day. He said, remember, remember, remember. Drink the cup remembering my blood. Then he broke bread and he passed it around. And he said, this is my body broken for you. His body the next day would be whipped beyond recognition, beaten with a crown of thorns on his head and then killed. He said, my body is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the way we take the Lord's Supper is we come up uh, during the first song at your leisure. Uh, You can spend time in your seat praying, uh, asking God maybe to reveal what what needs to be revealed in you. Maybe there's sin, things you need to confess, uh, maybe a relationship that you need to go make right. You have a a chance just to spend some time with God. Then get up, take the bread, take the cup. Uh, You can take it right over here. You can come back to your seat, spend more time in prayer. You can grab somebody and pray with them, whatever you want to do. But this is kind of a fun way to do it. I I feel it's a fun way because it's all of us getting up and moving and worshiping together as we take the Lord's Supper. But there's several other things that we're going to do. The other thing is on these tables, we have uh, basically these boards in miniature, but we have asceticism, mysticism, and religion. And I want you to think about which one of these do you maybe struggle with? Which one of these is more like maybe the things you go to in order to progress and to flourish? And we have little stickers up here. You don't have to put your name on it. Just take a sticker off and just stick it to the one that maybe is most like you. And the reason we do that is just to acknowledge I'm not where I, I need to be yet. And that's okay. And I'm on, on the grow. I'm growing with him. And here's the one I, maybe I'm struggling with. And you just, just acknowledge it and ask the Holy Spirit to work in you. Um, and then we have the boxes too. If, if you're visiting uh, or if you, you want help, anything sticking out, maybe you wanna be right with God, you don't know how, those pamphlets we gave you, fill that out. 
Put it in one of these boxes. That's where you can respond, as Paul was saying earlier. But this is a chance for us to worship. Again, this time here, a lot of times at church, we get confused. We think that these are the worshipers and this is the audience. But really, these are the worshipers. We are the facilitators and God is the audience. And so this is our chance to worship. This is your chance to respond to him however you see fit. If you want to sing like this, sing like this. If you want to get on your, your knees, get on your knees. We have this area up front where you can come up and get on your knees and pray. Worship the way you feel best. Respond the way God is leading you to respond. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I am so grateful that it's not up to me. I'm so grateful that religion is not the way. Because if religion was the way, I would either be proud or I would be a mess, and I'd probably be a mess. So thank you that it's about what you've done, not about what we do. Thank you that you've given us all good things to enjoy. I thank you um, for family. I thank you for marriage. I thank you for good drink. I thank you for good food, for bread, for rare steaks. Th th these things that you made, I, I thank you for the smell of a beautiful flower. I pray that we would enjoy those things in, in healthy moderation and give you the glory, that you would be glorified as we enjoy what you've created. God, and I pray that if anybody in here is struggling with the experience, trying to chase the experience of something mystical, that God, they would, they would move past that. Holy Spirit, you would move them past that to rely on you alone, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you're enough. Thank you that you're enough. Thank you that you accept me not based on me. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.